Hi there, I'm Mabel Nainan, the host of Far From Home, a podcast that encourages biblical perspectives on immigration and inspires faith in action. To learn more about the podcast or me, go to MabelNainan.com. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loved you so much that He sent Jesus to earth to take on human nature and live among us. And Jesus loves you so much that He died for your sins. Love is the reason for Christmas. In this episode, I spoke with Catherine McNeil, author of Fearing Bravely, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers and Enemies. We discussed the relationship between love and our Christian identity and the various kinds of fears that keep us from loving others. Jesus calls us to love not only our neighbors, but also strangers and our enemies. And this is not easy, but God's unconditional love toward us can motivate us and give us the courage to take a risk and show Christ-like love to others. Friends, this Christmas season, I want us to dwell on this Bible passage from John 13 verses 34 and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The world will know you're a follower of Christ by your love. So I hope your Christmas is filled with love. Maybe there's someone in your life you consider unlovable. Or maybe there's a stranger that lives in your neighborhood who is so different from you that for some reason he or she makes you fearful. God is asking you to surrender your fears and doubts to him and step out in his love. Today is the day to love freely. Merry Christmas to you and your family. Enjoy this episode and please share the holiday cheer and love by sharing it with your friends. Hi and welcome to Far From Home with me, Mabel Nainan, your host. I'm excited to talk today with a fellow author from the Redbud Writers Guild, Catherine McNeil. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here with you. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And we are going to be talking about one of Catherine's books, But before we get into our conversation, I'd like to take a moment to introduce her. Catherine is a writer, editor, speaker, and chaplain searching for the creative, redemptive work of God in our ordinary lives. She is the author of three books, including, and the one which we will be talking about today, Fearing Bravely, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. Most recently, she was the project editor for the NavPress Women's Devotional Bible and is finishing her fourth book on navigating mid-faith crisis by InterVarsity Press. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. There's quite a lot of work to do on that one still. (laughs) (laughs) And Catherine has studied and taught intercultural studies and theology. She has an MA in Human Service Counseling and is working on a Master of Divinity at North Park Theological Seminary. She lives in the Chicagoland area with her three children and husband and one enormous garden. Yes. So (laughs) I always like to start with a fun question. Why do you have an enormous garden? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is a that's a meandering story. I grew up in the country. uh, So having a garden and canning and freezing and 
prepping for the winter was kind of just part of the normal cycle of life. And so when I found myself to be an adult here in the Chicago suburbs, I did everything I could to have a little garden, even planting tomatoes and cucumbers on my apartment balconies. But when we moved to a house, I plowed up some of the yard and started growing. But my husband, I don't know if you or your listeners are familiar with the Enneagram. He's an Enneagram 7 wing 8. So everything that uh, everything he does gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so he eventually started enjoying the garden with me and kept making it bigger and bigger until we literally had two chest freezers that we needed to keep for all of the all the food that we would grow eat over the winter. And we finally said, this is too much. And then we started a farm stand and like a, a CSA a subscription. So now we grow for our neighbors and uh, we rent we rent space at a farm. And when I say it's a huge garden, uh, this last year we had 170 tomato plants alone. That's incredible. Well, <laughs> yeah. I wish you lived in my neighborhood. I know. I do too. I'd love for you to take some of it off my hands. <laughs> and I'm sure that gives you a lot of points to connect with your neighbors. It does. It's really incredible. It's so much work, but we just can't give it up because all summer long, all fall, um, neighbors that I don't even know will come and ring my doorbell and I'll come out and chat with them and uh, fill up a basket for them with vegetables. And it's it's such a lovely way to get to know people in my town. I totally agree. Um, so let's talk about your book. And I love the title, Fearing Bravely, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. Oh, I see it there. Yeah, I have it on Kindle, so I couldn't <laughs> yeah. hold a copy up. Um, yeah. What a nice title, first of all. I think the title says a lot. Uh, but what was the inspiration behind your book? Well, I I wrote this book. It came out in 2022, but I wrote it in 2020. And um, I was pitching the idea before the pandemic started. Um, but I, it was so notable to me in the in those years how much we were being discipled by fear, even before mm. even before the pandemic started. Um, and most books that I've read about fear are about our in, our anxieties. You know, uh, like the fear that we might have of heights or the fear that we're not good enough. But I was hearing just almost constant messaging about why we should be afraid of each other and mm. specifically the, the steps we needed to take to protect ourselves from each other. And it struck me that this was two things struck me. One, that it was we were being discipled very dangerously because when people are made to think that their fellow humans, whether it's neighbors, whether it's strangers, are dangerous to them, then we ourselves become dangerous. Because mm. if I think that the person ringing my doorbell is here to bring me vegetables or Girl Scout cookies, I'm going to open the door with warmth. Uh, but if I think the person coming to my door is trying to rob me or even kill me, I'm going to come to the door with a gun. And and which of those is actually a safer position depends on who's actually coming to the door. But I think in a lot of ways, we have become the dangerous people. Uh, bringing violence to interactions that don't require violence because we have been discipled to see the world that way. But the second reason I wrote it is because notably, Jesus' teaching is so very opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And over and over and over again, Jesus is telling his followers that they must overcome that fear with love. Yeah. And with active care, even if it's your enemy, you are to be actively serving and caring for them. Um, and 
I think the pushback that we have is, well, it's, it's not safe. Mm-hmm. Jesus doesn't understand how dangerous the world is. But of course, Jesus was killed for loving his enemies. And many of his followers were too. So Jesus was definitely not under any illusion that what he was asking for us to do was safe. But he was saying it was God's way of being in the world. And as I turn on Christian radio or Christian television or read Christian books or listen to many preachers or podcasts, I'm hearing more and more discipling towards fear. Uh, And I'm not hearing those words of Jesus saying the world is unsafe and the only way to follow me through it is to love anyway, even if it's dangerous, Mm -hmm. even if it's costly, to overcome with love. And I wanted to contribute to that conversation and at least say, if we're going to put Christ in our name, can we at (laughs) least have a conversation about what he said about love and fear? Yeah. And what about what is central to our identity as Christians? Yes. Yes. um, That's the first. And Jesus himself said, right, those are the that's the greatest commandment, love God and love Mm -hmm. your neighbors. Mm -hmm. I like your title. And I wonder if you see a progression in that loving neighbors, strangers, Mm -hmm. enemies. Uh, (laughs) Can you talk about that? Yes, I do see a progression. Um, I see a progression in our own lives and I see a progression in Jesus teaching. The book actually unfolds that way. It's broken into four sections. The first one is looking at what the Bible teaches generally about love and fear. Then the next section goes to neighbors, then the next to strangers and the next to enemies. Um, there's so many different ways I could talk about the progression, but just think looking out the window here right now in my own house, I see my neighbor's homes, but I don't necessarily know who lives in them. They have become strangers to me. That's the American way. Um, we don't live in tight knit communities around a city block or an apart around an apartment building. Um, and because they are strangers, it's likely that I would become suspicious of them. I don't know them. Mm. I don't understand what they're hoping. I don't understand what they're fighting against. Like maybe they have a terrible illness and that's why uh, they're they're coming home late at night. Or maybe they're, they're playing loud music because they have a baby who won't sleep. And so whatever, because I don't have empathy for them, it's hard for me to be generous with them. It's easy for me to become suspicious. Mm. And then they so easily become enemies. Or if they don't become enemies in my mind, I may become an enemy to them by lashing out at them rather than doing things to provide for them. So I think that when our neighbors, whether they're the people who live on our in our neighborhoods or just the people we rub shoulders with, when we don't know them, when we treat them as strangers, we pretty easily move towards either viewing them as enemies or becoming an enemy to them. But on the flip side, as I listen to Jesus teaching, he says, and, and we know this, we all know this. Jesus said that the greatest commandments, the things that would summarize everything that God wanted mm-hmm. from his people were to yeah. love God with everything you had and to love your neighbor as yourself. And his listeners understood that. And so they wanted clarification. They said, well, who is my neighbor? And when they asked for that clarification, Jesus told a story in which it's a stranger caring for another stranger in the midst of an incredibly dangerous situation that was obeying God's command to love their neighbor. And so immediately Jesus expands his teaching 
to include not just the people who live near you, not even the people you work with or the people you see at the grocery store, but anyone who's in need, even if they're a stranger, even if it's a dangerous place, because it was. I think the story of the Good Samaritan is expertly written. Jesus puts so much nuance into it. Uh, he, his setting is in a very dangerous place in a very dangerous yeah. time. Uh, the people who failed to see what God required out of the situation were those that the people would have viewed as the godly ones. Yeah. And fascinatingly, the Samaritan, who Jesus said was successfully loving his neighbor, was not a neighbor. He mm. was a stranger. And more than that, he was an enemy. Mm. And not even just an enemy, but a heretic. The mm. Jewish people who were listening to Jesus talk and Jesus himself viewed the Samaritans as bitter rivals going back generations and heretics. They did not believe the same things about God. And they would go far out of their way to avoid even having contact. And Jesus is saying, this enemy of yours, who's a heretic, if he is caring for a stranger in need, even though it's dangerous, even though it's costly, that's the person loving his neighbor. So Jesus simply says, love your neighbor as yourself, and then tells this story that demonstrates that in God's eyes, that means loving strangers, and it means loving enemies, and it means doing so even if it's dangerous, and it means doing so even if it's costly. And that's, you know, Jesus got into a lot of trouble for telling stories like that. And again, I wrote this book because I'd love to not just gloss over those teachings. Like mm -hmm. those, that's not easy to apply. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to do that by myself. I'm going to mm -hmm. need a community of devoted people wrestling with what that looks like. And I want to start that conversation. But I know for sure that it cannot include the rhetoric that we have stirring up our fears about each other and how dangerous our communities are and how dangerous immigrants are and how carefully we need to protect ourselves and our children. There's no room for that mm. in loving our neighbors as ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I found this very surprising. Actually, I don't know why I should be surprised, but you had a statistic in your book from uh, a research done in 2020, I think by the Public Research Institute, Religious mm. Research Institute, yeah. mm -hmm. that over 50% of white evangelical Christians view immigrants as a threat. Yes. And so uh, if we were to, if Jesus were here right now, and he would tell that parable of the Good Samaritan, he would probably use the example of an immigrant whom, you know, uh, so many Christians fear, view as a threat mm -hmm. and view mm -hmm. as dangerous. So um, can you talk a little more about loving our immigrant neighbors, um, mm. loving immigrants, and why is that so central to the teaching of the Bible? Wow. How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, my great-grandparents immigrated here. Almost everyone who lives in America, unless they are an indigenous population is has an immigration story. Yeah. But I I recognize that with generations under my belt and my white skin, for example, I am seen as a native to this country. And and that comes with some degree of power and privilege. And as a Christian, I am called, commanded to lay aside anything of power or privilege that I have for the sake of of the whole community. So as a Christian, this matters to me a lot. 
Um, mm-hmm. Specifically, it matters to me because I live in a community that is very heavily populated by very recent immigrants. Um, 50%, I think it is either uh came here on their own or came here with their parents or their parents brought them here or were born shortly after their parents arrived. So my neighbors are literally immigrants. And again, it has been stunning to me to hear how Americans, even American Christians, and sometimes especially American Christians talk about my neighbors, not by name, of course, but by demographic. And again, it is a free country. We are allowed to say what we want to say and believe what we want to believe. But Christians have a different calling and a different commandment, and that is to mm-hmm. provide hospitality, to care for strangers as though they were our own families. And I do not see that calling being practiced by very many churches, by very many Christian communities, not none, <laughs> but it's not it's not the loudest voice. Yeah. Um, all throughout the Bible. God makes it very clear that his people were strangers, they were travelers, they were wanderers, they were immigrants, and as a result, they must care for strangers, wanderers, immigrants. Uh, We could walk through dozens and dozens of passages in the law, in the prophets, in the historical books, in the gospels, in the epistles, Mm. where there is no two ways about it. God is saying again and again. The strangers among you need to be treated with the care and the dignity that you would treat your own family. Mm. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> um, and that's just not something for all, all the conversations that we have about, do we take the Bible literally? Are we a Bible believing nation? Are we, um, are we holding each other to uh, the standard of a biblical worldview? Somehow that's not getting discussed. Yeah. Um, but all throughout the Bible before Jesus during Jesus' life and after Jesus, caring for the strangers among us is foremost among the things that God feels is important to talk about. And I think yeah. partially it's because when you are far from home, you are more vulnerable. Mm. Any of us who are traveling need to rely on the goodwill and the ability of the people who are local to see mm. human dignity in us and extend that to us. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so my question is, looking at that statistic, right, uh, and you all pointed out that we as Christians should be doing the opposite, which is loving strangers, but here we are seeing them as a threat. Mm-hmm. And so um, can we maybe talk about some of the reasons why Christians or even Americans or American Christians see immigrants as a threat? What is it that they fear? <laughs> That's such a good question. Um, I, I say at one point in the book, I don't think I could find the exact quote right now, that Jesus said his true followers would be known for their love. Mm. And uh, if that's the case, then I think it's possible that his true followers are not the ones using the word Christian. Because the word Christian is just a word. It's just a label. You know, I could I could build a snowman and put the word Christian on it, but it does not mean that that snowman is following Jesus. <laughs> and yeah. What Jesus said is that we need to look at the fruit. And I'm it's not my place to call anyone's salvation or relationship with God into question. I'm not doing that. But if there is a group of people that have been overcome by fear rather than overcome by love, that are mistreating immigrants rather than providing hospitality, I would struggle to define us 
I'm going to, I have to include myself in that. I would struggle to define us as people who were genuinely and actively following Jesus. Um, I think in many ways we have taken the word Christian and, and assumed that as long as we're holding up the card that says Christian, we don't need to dig into what Jesus said. We don't need to ask ourselves what it requires of us or what kind of a lifestyle discipleship requires. So I think partially that's it. We just don't know. We haven't, we haven't thought about it. We haven't looked. Yeah. Also, without a doubt, our fears have been exploited by those in power and those who want to have power. Because, you know, just to give an example, if I if I tell you that a terrible storm is coming to your area and it's coming straight to your house and the only person who can give you information about it is me, you're going to stop everything you're doing and li- going to listen to me because you're afraid and I'm offering you information that can lead you to safety. And that could be a beautiful thing that I'm providing for you and your family, but I could easily exploit that so mm-hmm. that you'll do whatever I, you'll do whatever I want because that's yeah. how you're going to know how to stay safe. And that is yeah. definitely something that I think is happening uh, throughout American culture and also within what we would call Christian culture, that those who want power are exploiting our fears so that we will continue to give them power, that we will continue to give them our attention and our money. And so they just keep talking about the things that make us afraid mm-hmm. so that we'll keep tuning our radio station in so that we'll keep on reading their newsletters. We'll keep buying the books, whatever. So I do think that there is a degree to which we are being exploited yeah, um, and, yeah. And, and being discipled by fear because it's such an easy, it's such a low hanging fruit. It's part of yeah. how we're wired as humans. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's a good way to be wired that way. You know, it's natural, but Jesus is calling us to a different way of being in the world that requires yeah. us to rely on each other. And for, for many reasons, we have not opted into that. Yep. Yep. And it's interesting that the things that they tell us we should be afraid of are also not a priority. For instance, um, we are told that immigrants are a threat mm-hmm. to uh, you know, to to the national identity of Americans, that uh, we need to preserve what it means to be American, or even some of them say that Americans come to pollute uh, our Christian principles and yes. values. And I think, like, how much is how important is it mm-hmm. to see uh, the preservation of any country's national identity as being um, you know, of a higher value mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. our Christian virtue of showing love, right? That should take precedence over you wanting to, I'm not saying don't protect the national borders and security, that's one thing, but seeing people as a threat to, you know, we might lose our American identity, which is actually mm-hmm. not real, but that somehow becomes priority over yes. we should show Christian love. Yes. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I think, Jesus says we can't serve two masters. You know, I'm very profoundly, unspeakably grateful to live in a country that is not war-torn, where yeah. my children have a relative likelihood of surviving child childhood um, and have many opportunities to thrive in their adulthood. So I'm grateful, so grateful for my citizenship as an American. But anytime that that comes into conflict with my citizenship in the kingdom of God, that has to take evidence if if I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and so this is the holiday season, Christmas mm. season. And, you know, we talk about love, joy, hope, peace a lot. Um, and so I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for how we can, in practical ways, uh, practice hospitality, especially towards immigrants mm-hmm. um, during this holiday season? Well, ideally, um, ideally, I my suggestion would be to know the immigrants in your neighborhood well enough that you can ask them and you don't have to ask me. I don't want to steal their voice. But uh, for many of us, that's not the case. And I do know that the vast, vast majority of immigrants to this country will go their entire lifetimes in America without ever being invited to sit around um, the dining room table of someone from dominant American culture or to just hang around in the living room and eat cookies and chat. So I think that's a good place to start. Uh, figure out who lives in your neighborhood that doesn't, isn't, wasn't born here and get to know them. Uh, have them over for a meal. Have them over just like you would any other friends you were wanting to get to know. And from there, it's it's going to snowball, you know, like I know which of my friends are have a doctor's appointment this week and that they're worried about. And I know who needs someone to watch their baby so that they can go to work tomorrow because they're chat. Once you know someone, you know how to love them because you know them. And yeah. so but the first step is to is to know and to be known. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of times during the holidays, we look for ways that we can give without receiving. Uh, but that's, that's, that has so many downfalls. You know, it's, it's good to put a gift in the toy drive and it's good to write a check for it to a charitable institution. Don't stop doing those things. But what is really transformatively loving is when we have skin in the game, when we mm-hmm. are saying, I'm not just giving you like a, a turkey or, or a, a box uh, of toys. I am choosing to enter into a relationship with you. And Mm -hmm. I acknowledge that that means that you're going to change me too. And that I'm going to realize there are things that I need that you can provide for me and that I have vulnerabilities that you can ease. And suddenly it becomes a relationship, which is a two-way street. And that's where everything changes. So circling back to your question, I would say (laughs) start inviting someone over, have someone to your Thanksgiving feast that has never had turkey before, that has never celebrated Thanksgiving. Um, and and then see where your relationship... So what you're saying is use these holidays as um, an opportunity to start getting to know your neighbors and to build a relationship. Don't just do it because it's a Christmas season and you want to feel good, you yes. know, that you've done something good, that you've yes. given. But uh, use that as an opportunity to start a relationship uh, and to keep that going throughout the year, Christmas or not. Yes. Um, yes. And I love this um, passage in your book. So I'm I'm not quoting word by word, but you said um, from Hebrews 13, I believe it says, um, show hospitality to strangers, right? Because mm-hmm. you never know, you might entertain angels yes. uh, by yes. doing that. And you might become angels yourself. Yes. Uh, when when you become Jesus's hands and feet by showing love to others. And I thought that was beautiful. You know, we have an opportunity here during Christmas to actually be um, angels to someone, to be God's yes. messengers of love and kindness 
Uh, and uh, I hope that our listeners and viewers don't miss out on that opportunity. Um, and to, and like you said, try to do it in community. We need one another to overcome our fears um, and love others. And we also need to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us that love and to give us wisdom and discernment as yes. we uh, reach out to our immigrant neighbors. Yes. Um, any final thoughts, Catherine? Hmm. What do you want to say? <laughs> I think my final thought is just a reminder to me, to you, to the listener, that God is here and God is love. And God has said that in him there is no darkness at all and that his love casts out fear. So I don't, I know a lot of people will hear that God wants us to do something and become paralyzed. You know, what if I mm. fail? What if God casts me out? What if I'm not good enough for God? And I just want to say that. That's not what this story is about. This story is about God who created us in love, who loved us before the world was even formed, who loved us before we were born, who has loved us all along, who says that the story ends with a tree whose branches gives healing to all the nations. Like this is a story of abundance, an abundance mm. of God's love. You cannot lose God's love. You cannot you lose the fact that God wants near you. And so because of that, because God is here and because God's love is sure, that's why we have the power and the, the the courage to love others. So if you're afraid that you're failing, that God is unhappy with you, please just take a deep breath and rest in God's unfailing love because it is that love that is promised to overcome. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you for speaking to us about love and hospitality during this time of the year. And I hope that listeners will and viewers will read your book. I'll put the links to your Amazon page and other pages in the show notes. So grab a copy of her book. It's a great book to read, especially during the season or anytime you're listening to this. So thank you, Catherine, for sharing your views and sharing your heart with us. It was an honor and privilege to talk with you. Thank you so much for your hospitality. It's good to be with you. Thank you for joining us today on Far From Home, a podcast that encourages biblical perspectives on immigration and inspires faith in action. I'm your host, Mabel Nainen. I would like to invite you to join our private Facebook group, Far From Home Podcast, a place where you can share your thoughts and comments. I also share extra scenes and behind-the-scenes snippets on this Facebook group. I can't wait to meet you there and listen to what you have to say. If you want to know more about Far From Home or about me, go to MabelNinen.com. Some episodes of this podcast are available in video format on my YouTube channel, Mabel Nainen. Be sure to check that out if you're interested in watching the interesting conversations I have with the guests on this podcast. Thanks again for listening and I'm so glad you joined us today. Until next time, goodbye.